year has moved out been a wild ride in any number of different ways for every one of you, I'm guessing. Whether you're leased to a carrier and newly dealing with regular customers' facility restrictions and the necessity of new personal protective equipment on site at, or at once uh, routinely familiar and uh, now sometimes ever stranger seeming truck stops along regular routes, or maybe you're an independent who's experienced this topsy-turvy rate and freight situation along with that from the highest of highs of late and the lowest of lows back in April and May. I could go on, but you get the point, I suspect. I'm Todd Dills, and this is the Overdrive Radio Podcast. Today, I thought I'd share for the podcast listeners the long talk I had last week, Tuesday, August 25th, with our own contributing writer, Gary Books, and well-known satellite radio host and fellow owner-operator coach, uh, fellow to Books, uh, Kevin Rutherford, on business best practices, many of which, well, they're tried and true, and you know, no matter the exterior circumstances weighing on the freight markets and on society. Think of it as welcome grounding, I hope, amid the high-flying cacophony of our time. The talk was broadcast to Overdrive's Facebook page live as part of Overdrive's Gats Week series of events every evening last week. Also part of our long-running Partners in Business seminar series, also an owner-operator business manual produced in conjunction with business services firm ATBS. Here's how I introduced the basic program. Part of the business program goes back a couple of decades now, beginning with uh, seminars at trade shows and then adding a printed business manual that has been updated year after year after year with the latest information as it pertains to what's current and uh, plenty that's tried and true when it comes to running an owner-operator business. It covers everything from considerations to make it startup, creating a business plan, costs and other accounting along the way, maintenance, truck purchases, compliance, dealing with brokers for independence, uh, choosing carriers for those looking to lease and well beyond. This year's manual is currently available for download free of charge for anyone thinking about getting into business as an owner-operator or looking to hone business knowledge and skills uh, for those of you that have been in it for quite a long time. You can find it via overdriveonline.com PIB. So when you go there, go ahead and click or tap on the quote-unquote PIB manual navigation at the top of the page. From there, it's an easy couple of clicks or taps over to the download page. The entire program is sponsored this year, as for the last few, by the folks over at TBS Factoring Service, a well-respected outfit out of Oklahoma City that's been in business for invoice factoring almost as long as Overdrive's been around, and today offers a bevy of other services too, from broker credit checks to an assist in filing for authority for new owner-operator businesses and more. Check them out at tbsfactoring.com. Now to the discussion. We started out with a question. You know, kind of wanted to tee, tee things in, uh, tee things up a little bit with the comp- with uh, with the question that it kind of draws on what we heard last night from Todd Amon uh, at ATBS uh, here in, in the series. He presented his uh, out, service outlook for the rest of the year for owner operators, as well as uh, sharing a lot of data from the first quarter on income uh, for some of the various segments. You know, there's some some is up, some some is down, but everything is fairly steady. In a lot of ways, given we've seen some of these big swings uh, in, the, in the spot market where you know folks had a big payday during that, fuels down, uh, which which helped a lot of folks get through this and, and a variety of other things. But um, but you know, this, in the short term, though, he uh, it looks so shaky and, and kind of strange that it's hard to predict with a lot of confidence. So we um, he, so he told us sort of all last night that uh, in a time like this, um, we should really, quote unquote, manage for the downsides. It's the words he, he used, uh, given, you know, the uncertainty of where we're really going and, you know, whatever that's going to look like. Uh, but if things turned out better than expected, the, you know, the upside will sort of take care of itself. And, you know, while that sounds all well and good, how do we do that really? What what questions should, you know, individual owner-operators out there be asking themselves right now looking uh, ahead through the next six months to a year in you guys' estimation? You know, I, I just to follow up with um, what Todd said, and I, I got to say, Todd's a good friend of mine, and we've actually had some business ventures together. He is absolutely brilliant when it comes to business. He's one of the few people I've met that can look at the big picture and understand it, which is one of my strengths. I'm really good at the big picture. He's also really good at day-to-day details and making sure stuff gets done. And that's a rare combination. I need six people around me to make sure I make it to the webinar on time. Um, So I really respect Todd when it comes to business. And I agree with him. 
the the upside is going to take care of itself. You don't need to be looking for big new ventures or revenue streams or taking any risks right now. You've got to protect that downside. And and the first thing, there's several things we could talk about tonight, but the first thing I would say is you you look at your line items on a profit and loss statement. And if you don't have one, you better get one. And you start cutting expenses to the bone. You just start cutting everything that isn't necessary to run the business right now. You know, when things are good and there's lots of business to go be found, you can afford to spend some money. It wasn't unusual for me. And wasn't up until just recently to just jump on a plane or jump in the coach and go visit somebody just to build a relationship. But that's pretty expensive. I wouldn't do that today. I, I, there's no way I would spend that kind of money knowing what we're facing. So the first thing I would say is pull out a, a good recent P&L and look at every expense you could cut and start cutting them. Gary, is that square with, I mean, is, is, is there something beyond, you know, uh, uh, cutting costs that uh, that folks can do when you think about managing for uh, downside risk? Yeah, uh, I I kind of see things that um, I agree with the cutting of the costs. I think we need to watch that all the time. We need to uh, always be in tune to that. I think about where people are at, and it's not just during these times that I run into this. I, um, we talked uh, in preparation for this about throwing up our foundation. You don't have a strong foundation to build on, to maintain, and that foundation can be our maintenance, it can be our customer base, those it's not every customer, maybe, but um, you may have a customer you haul 30% of your loads for. That's your that's a foundation customer. I think about what can we, what do we know for sure? What do we know to be true? And that's part of our foundation. So, for example, I'll get just really simple things. Between now and the end of the year, and I don't know if other people look at this, but I always did. I kind of look at the calendar. I kind of brought up a calendar here and I'll just, it's backwards, but I want you to see kind of how I highlighted. What I've got here is I kind of marked if I was still working and driving, how many days would I work between now and the end of the year? I don't know if other people would do this, but when you identify how many days you actually are going to work, now, maybe the best place to start is the days you're going to take off. You want to make sure you have your off time. So know what's true. You've got between now and the end of the year, there's basically uh, you know, 122. The first of the month, there'll be 122 days left. Gary Bucks, I'll reemphasize, was talking last week, August 25th. and makes reference here to September 1st or this past Tuesday as I'm coming to you on September 4th, 2020. Friday. Most people are going to work maybe 75 of those days, uh, maybe 90 at the most in a truck, uh, potentially. And that doesn't sound like much, as it, does it? Between now and the end of the year, because Kevin talked about the PL. People, do they have their PL up to date? Do they even know what their first half of the year PL looks like? Do they know those numbers? They need to know that. And 75 working days this fiscal year could be over for them. Maximize the opportunities that you have ultimately is what we're right. About, yeah. yeah. Kevin, what when you when you think of foundations, uh, Gary brought that up. I mean, what what else um, you know to build a, a strong foundation for a business, for an owner operator business? So what other kinds of things are we talking about? You know, if we go back to foundations, and then I want to also talk about protecting the downside a little more, but on the yeah. foundations, you know, nothing that I said 20 years ago, the first time I did this changed. I, I, I'm going to say the same things I said 20 years ago. Know your numbers, which it, it's still shocking to me how few owner operators do. And I, I get these calls every day on my show. Somebody wants me to help them make a decision. Should I buy a new truck? Should I get a trailer? Should I, you know, get my own authority? Should I change carriers? And my first question is, let's talk about your numbers. And immediately you'll hear them hesitate and, well, I don't have them right now. And I'll, I'll say, look, here's the thing. You either know your numbers or you don't. 
Well, no, I have them on the computer. No, you don't. If you have one truck and you can't tell me your numbers right off the top of your head, then you don't have them. You don't know them. And that's the norm. And, And that's the first thing I would say is the foundation of every business is that financial statement. I've done this thing for years in seminars. It, it, you know, we, we give handouts and I'll hand out a P&L, one that we've developed in our software. And I'll go through it with people and I'll point out, you know, here's this cost and that cost. And in 30 minutes, uh, we'll be talking about it. People are amazed by what they learn from that one piece of paper. And I'll say, here's the really sad part. About 80% of you in the room now know more about a stranger's owner-operator business than you know about your own because we took 30 minutes to go through the numbers and look at everything you learned. So that's the first one for me. You've got to have the numbers. You've got to build good relationships, whether that's, you know, direct customers. If you're working with brokers, those are your customers. If you're leased to a carrier, that's your customer. You've got to build good relationships within those organizations. And if you've done those two things, you'll probably make it through any downturn we ever face in trucking. It really is that simple. The the other thing I would say in protecting the downside is, is in good times, I talked about this earlier, you can do things differently in good times. You can be a little pickier about things. One of the things I hear in trucking all the time are this, the I don't statements. And that's fine. I love being an entrepreneur because you get to choose what you do. But that doesn't mean you always get to do just what you want to do. And this is one of those times where you have to stop thinking that way. I hear statements like, I never go to New York City. I don't go north of I-40 in the wintertime. I don't, I don't, I don't. Great. If your P&L looks good and you're happy with your profit, do that all you want. I would drop all of those I don't statements right now. Yeah, something Kevin said reminded me of your uh, particular system of accounting. You know, we talk about that, uh, that financial um, foundation. We're, we're talking about uh, accounting, accounting basically, um, uh, tracking your costs, uh, being diligent about doing that. And, you know, the, the spreadsheets that are available today, Kevin, the software program that you have, uh, these kinds of things make it really, really easy to, uh, to put a system together uh, where you can easily quick, a quick glance, see, uh, see how you're performing, uh, see how your costs are varying and, and tracking up and down. Problem is you gotta, you gotta be diligent about uh, punching in the numbers. And Gary, you had, you have a great, you had a great system that you devised yourself. It was based on just a shared spreadsheet on, on a Google doc that uh, you and your wife worked together on. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. And sure. uh, is that, that always felt that always looked to me like a simple system that um, that was easily um, that could easily be built by anyone out there. Yes, uh, what we went to was a cloud-based uh, spreadsheet with uh, simple categories uh, that we needed based on our Schedule C for taxes. And what we would do is have a, a self. Uh, for each date in each category, that's the way a spreadsheet, it's like a, a manual ledger sheet, the way bookkeeping used to be done. Yeah. And um, the really great thing about the cloud base was it was actually more secure because if, if, if a computer or laptop went down, you don't lose it. The other part that was great is my wife at home, or if you have a partner at home or somewhere else, you can both see the numbers, work with it together, and uh, make those adjustments and see if something's missing. So you can hold each other accountable. Now, one of the points I'd like to make to owners here or wannabe owners, and hopefully we have some, is not to make your bookkeeping, your record keeping too difficult. The problem with a lot of systems are they're so difficult to work with. They're fancy. They got a lot of graphics. They, um, if it's difficult, you won't keep doing it. You'll do it for a short time, but you will find that it's uh, a burden. It can't be a burden for you. It's just human nature. You know, if you don't enjoy it, you're not. Now, the other point about being a small operator is, in general, there are not that many entries in a week or two. Uh, 
depending on how much you drive, how you, man, how you manage fuel purchases. You may have two or three fuel entries in a week. You get, if you're a, a totally independent, your receivables are going to be a little more difficult to track uh, than, uh, than someone who's a lease operator because you don't get a single settlement uh, right. where you, you know, you've got your deductions for certain things that you contract for. But you take those fixed costs, the once a month insurance payment, um, the once a month truck payment or twice bi-monthly, weekly payment, you can kind of just anticipate some of these things. So you may have in a week, let's say eight, nine entries. And so I suggest part of that is keep it simple. You cash accounting, know your output, your income, kind of look at that and develop a way off of that, do predictable profit for every load and every day you actually work. That will help you make better decisions. Keep you from running those loads that are break even or loss ahead of time. Sure. Kevin, it makes me, the simplicity that uh, that Gary kind of emphasized there when it comes to the uh, bookkeeping accounting system made me think of the old, uh, uh, your, you know, your old tried and true system of uh, the role of the role of a uh, uh, cash register tape and, um, you know, a, a calculator uh, that you, that you do and you, you staple them together, you throw them in a, Throw them in a accordion envelope, and uh, you know you have your your filing system for that. Um, is your your uh, accounting system is is some is an online cloud system as well, but um, but is is kind of a, a strive for that level of simplicity, doesn't it? Yeah, and it started as a spreadsheet uh, back yeah. in 1986 when I bought my first truck. I was also into computers and. Most people didn't even know what it was back then. I, I had built my first computer and I started with a spreadsheet and I made the mistake Gary was just talking about. I didn't keep anything simple. I was so enamored by spreadsheets. Oh my God, look, I can create this calculation and that calculation. And, that, and pretty soon my spreadsheets just kept growing and growing and growing. And just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. And it, the same thing, exactly what Gary said happened to me. I'd have this awesome spreadsheet that could calculate everything 17 ways, and I'd stop doing it because it was just too cumbersome. So after several attempts at that, I, I finally said, look, I need to get the kind of the spreadsheet out of my way. And I actually went back to school and learned how to do some programming and turn almost every accounting program is a spreadsheet in the background. Yeah. You just build a front end so that you take away all the graphs and the tables and the cells and that would distract me. And I would think, oh, here's another idea. So that's how my software was born. And then we moved it online very early into the cloud. And it's so simple that a one truck owner operator can do their entire month of bookkeeping in 30 minutes. And that's what we recommend. Sit down once a month do it in 30 minutes, be done with it, and then spend your time on the report. Because that doing the accounting is good because you you kind of learn the numbers as you're entering them. But then looking at that report, that that's your scorecard. So I, I am with him. Keep this drop dead simple. Think, think about what you need to know as that small operator. Nothing else matters. You need to talk to who does your taxes so you have what they need. Then there may be a little bit more things that you may want to do. For example, uh, I suggest separating um, predictable maintenance from actual repairs because that, that shows you things about your equipment. If you lump it all together, I'd separate tires from maintenance. Um, so there are some things that maybe are, they may seem like subcategories, but some of that has to be for taxes. Some of it has to help you make better business decisions. 
You know, a good way to look at that, because I totally agree, a good way to look at that is if you're calculating a number, if you're taking time to separate something out, ask yourself, will I ever use this number to make a decision? And if you're not ever going to use it, then don't break it out and track it. The, The other way that we separate numbers is, and our software does this automatically, is that we separate out fixed cost versus variable cost. Yes. And, yes. and that's a, we don't get much more detailed than that, because if I have really high fixed cost, big truck payments, big trailer payments, high insurance costs, fixed costs are things that you have to pay whether you turn the key or not. You got to make your truck payment whether you go to work at all. Fuel, you're not going to buy fuel unless you go drive. So that would be a variable cost. Fixed costs usually stay the same every month. That's why we call them fixed. Yes. But if you have high fixed costs, you better get your ass out there and work. You have a big nut to crack just to break even. If you have low fixed costs, you can be pickier. You can stay home more often. If rates aren't good, if you want to wait till a better time, you've got that flexibility. So we like the idea of of being able to see a total fixed cost for your operation and a total variable cost. I would say fixed costs are what we know to be true. We know what the payment is. We don't know how many miles we'll drive. We don't know what the rate will be. These are the truths. The other part I would suggest, and I follow Kevin there, is I recommend put your fixed cost divided by the actual days you're going to work. Because if you're not working, you can't pay that bill. Well, if you're only going to work 15 days this month and you have, you know, you know, Fifteen hundred dollars. You know, it's a hundred dollars a day if you're that's your fixed cost. If it's three thousand, it's two hundred dollars. Now, if you work twenty days, see, well, that's part of that predictable ability to predict the profit on the loads you select. And it makes me too think of uh, a question. We've got a couple of variations on this question from uh, from operators out there, and you know, it kind of involves one of those fixed costs and uh, quite. Probably the, the largest one for, well, not for everybody, but uh, frequently for anybody buying a new truck today. Uh, the, and it was the question is is a variation on something that uh, you know we've been debating for years ever since the uh, the EPA um, got into uh, regulating the emissions of trucks. And uh, what's happened, of course, is the ballooning of uh, equipment costs. Uh, you know, there's a lot of interest out there in, in kind of that pre-emissions, pre-2007 uh, engines over what's coming later uh, among yeah. owner-operators. So there are also, also plenty of examples of you know, owner-operators out there succeeding with newer trucks as well. Um, when Todd Amon was presenting last night, uh, he, he showed that, showed a, a, I think it was about a 20-year uh, chart of, uh, of the truck payment and truck payment and maintenance cost averages, uh, and both show them kind of rising on average when those later model trucks came into play uh, in, you know, kind of 2008 time period, really, really rising, uh, both maintenance and the truck payment around 2010 to reach a kind of a plateau a couple of years later, if I'm remembering it right. But uh, anyway, maintenance costs seem to rise with every EPA main date as well, furthermore. So I thought in my head that there could be both, you know, kind of older and newer equipment strategies that play in those numbers. Uh, like uh, the, as the EPA mandates come into play, uh, some folks are drawn to the older trucks. Uh, that's uh, it's generally brings a higher maintenance cost along with it, as as do some of these new emission systems and what have you. Anyway, the question is. Uh, is you know how should an owner operator kind of make the calculation for him or herself when it comes to that decision to you know either build or maintain the business in a newer truck or that older truck that I mean I eh, have to take into account their own maintenance prowess that kind of thing or you know what are all the considerations that uh, what do you guys advise folks on that score? You know th- this is a, a difficult question. We could approach yeah. them a lot of ways, and one of the problems is that in order to make this decision, we need those numbers again. Yeah. Already in business and they have the numbers. This is a whole lot easier. We also have to look at, are you just getting into the business or, or have you been doing this for 20 years? You've got good cash flow. You know, your numbers, it's much easier to, t- I, I consider new trucks risky, really risky. Right. And it's, it's surprising to me how many people think the opposite. 
they think, oh, but I have a warranty. That warranty isn't worth the paper it's written on when it comes to your business, because when your truck goes down and they hold it for two or three weeks, warranty work can be a nightmare. Then you get it back out of the shop and it wasn't done right because they rushed it because they don't get paid well for warranty work. That can put you out of business, along with a big truck payment and insurance. So to me, new trucks are always riskier, far more. If you're in a position you can handle that risk, there can be some clear advantages, newer technology, better fuel mileage. Lower maintenance costs, not one of the advantages, though. Those new trucks are expensive to maintain. I don't care how good your warranty is. My general rule of thumb, your first truck should be dirt cheap. We can always upgrade it in six months or a year if you're doing really well. I mean, I'm talking, one of my favorite stories, I had a guy who called me on the show, wanted me to help him get started. And I said, call me every week. I'm going to help you with this. He bought a $3,000 truck at auction. A $3,000 truck. He put about $5,000 making it legal and safe. And in his first year, he grossed over $240,000 with that truck. And he decided to just keep it anyway. He could have afforded to buy a new truck and he decided to keep it. I think there's a lot less risk in a in a an older, much older, used, very cheap truck. It, once you get beyond that, then it becomes a lot of calculations. What are your fixed costs right now? What are your variable costs? How much do you want to work? What kind of rate are you getting? It becomes a much more difficult decision. Yeah. I just think about the brass tax of everything, I guess, is what we're saying here. And Gary, I know you, you know, that that makes me think of uh, of kind of the the emphasis that you put on um, you know whether it's a new a new a new owner a guy or a guy just getting in or, or anybody who's been in the business for a long time even could be um, which is just to kind of keep the emotions out of it right um, right yeah you know, like, particularly when it comes to purchasing trucks I know for a lot, for a lot of people the emotions can get in the way for sure. I stumbled into a subject shortly after I became an owner operator. I'd been a, I'd been in business, other businesses for thirty years, and I became a truck owner, uh, or as an owner operator, lease operator. And I tr- stumbled into something called behavioral economic psychology. I was just goofing around on the internet, and I tripped in, and I found this professor, Dan Ariely, and I started reading his work, listening to his. Um, short broadcasts and so on, I began to realize how much our brain plays tricks on us. And I want to go back to when I bought my truck. It was a white Freightliner Century. All my friends just gave me the worst of times and said, you know, this is like you know, a throwaway truck. This is an old Swift. It wasn't a Swift truck. Why are you <laughs> buying this? You're an owner operator, you know? And I said, I'm buying this truck because I want to make money. Like Kevin said, I want to be profitable. Yeah. Right. When I got done signing the paperwork, the salesman said, you know, if this truck was purple, I could have got a thousand more dollars and I would have sold it <laughs> a month ago. And I just, and I didn't understand it at the time. But when I started reading and listening about behavioral psychology began to learn so much and it changed. I became more, less irrational. It talks a lot about um, irrationality. There's one group of people I've been around. Truck drivers can be very irrational. We let our emotions, we, we let them get in the way of, um, making uh, a sound decision, whether it's business, safety. Um, you know, we want to, a good example that I use with the people I coach is, um, why do you focus on gross income so much? Gross income doesn't mean anything, generally. It's the net income, it's your profit. How many businesses do you see gross hundreds of millions of dollars and lose money? What good is that? You know, owner operators. Oh, I did two hundred, what forty thousand dollars. That young man, or whatever age he was, I did really good with that truck, Kevin. I'm, I'm proud. Yeah. Yeah. When I hear people say, 
yeah, you know, I did $200,000. I'm like, yeah, but what was the profit? Oh, well, I didn't want to pay income tax. <laughs> you know, and that's why I don't, I don't want to make a profit. We've talked about this in preparation for this show. That, that, that's a whole show in itself. Well, I mean, I do want to bring that up because I was surprised by uh, uh, Matt, editorial director for us at Overdrive, Max Heine asked uh, Todd Amon a question about quarterly ta- quarterly estimated taxes. And, and Todd, he said, you know, the ATBS clients, about 60% actually file quarterlies. Uh, but he estimated that it was more like about 20% among the entire yeah. owner-operator population. And I'm like, you know, that that's, you're paying penalty every, every, uh, every time you file after that, right? There are people yeah. that don't believe that. There are people yeah. that think that they're off the hook. It's not. When I got ready to buy the truck, my accountant, I asked him, I said, one, how much should I prepare to pay? That told me first year, a thousand a month. I go, really? He goes, yeah, you're going to pay 12,000 in taxes your first year. 17 years as an owner operator, I pay taxes every year. Okay. And a lot of my friends, a lot of others in this business said, man, you're crazy. You need a new accountant. I go, how? I'm looking at my balance sheet. I'm growing every year. Right. Why could I retire at 65? Because I saved, did I paid taxes, saved the difference, didn't end up with a big truck to dispose of, a big truck payment that was hanging over my head. That was a huge factor. Yeah. You know, talk about irrational. When when I hear first off, when I hear that statement, you need a new account, and I've never paid taxes as an owner operator. There's only my answer is there's only two ways not to pay taxes. One, have no profit, and two, cheat. I, I don't want to do either one. I want to be the guy in the room that paid the most tax. That that's my goal. I always want to be the guy in the room who paid the most tax. But I ask people when they they're always they talk about, well, my accountant says I need to buy this to for depreciation. And I say, wait a minute, stop. Forget taxes for a second. Let's just talk about business. Tell me the number one reason you got in business. It's usually money. I want to make more money. Then it's freedom. Then it, it, they'll go down the list and I'll keep asking them to give me reasons. And at a certain point, they just run out of reasons. And I'll say, you never once said that you got into business to pay less tax. So why do you keep focusing on just paying less tax? The idea is you want to make more money, more profit. When you make more profit, you're going to pay more tax. Just live with it. Yeah. Uh, transitioning a bit, I got another one from a, uh, a couple of different readers. Uh, that, there's a couple of variations on this one as well, but it's, it's kind of one of these uh, age-old questions uh, in the words of, of the first, first uh, guy I talked to this past week who, who put this one to me. And the, the way he put it was this way. Um, what can we do about all these cheap carriers out here? And the other version of it is how do you compete in a market that kind of feels always like it's, you know, privileges competition uh, on price above everything else, right? That's a good question. And the way I managed that was to make sure my customers knew who I was. That's first. That's first. Uh, Every customer I went to, I would hand them my business card my information on one side and a picture of myself with my truck on the other side. And my last delivery in November, when I took the equipment and I dropped it back off at the customer and I went in and I gave them very little, if any warning. I, I really gave them no warning. I was retiring. Actually, I decided on Wednesday at two o'clock in the afternoon and stopped on Friday. That's the way to retire, by the way, folks. So when I dropped it off and I went in the office and said goodbye, the first thing was a gasp, like, oh, then it was congratulations. Then it was, she reached up on her desk to the Rolodex, pulled out my business card, said, first day you came to my office, you gave me this card. And there were about three or four times in three years, she called me directly because there was an issue after I had left with the loan. They knew exactly how to get a hold of me so I could take care of their customers. That's how you compete with cheap carriers. Get as close to the final customer as possible and you haul value 
you don't drive miles. You haul value for profit. So let me jump in here because we talked about foundations. We talked about how you run a good, successful business. You, you build relationships, you know your numbers, you manage your cost, all of those things. And somebody says, how do I compete against a cheap carrier? In my mind, you, I never spend time on something I can't control ever. I won't spend 30 seconds thinking about it. We can't control that cheap carriers are in the market. I want them there. I want the barrier to entry as low as possible in business. More people get in, it makes us all better. My answer is you don't compete against anybody but yourself. I, that's my only competition is myself. Can I be better than I was last month? And that's the bar that I always set for myself. I don't care what anybody else is doing because I can't change it. I can't control it. And I don't need to think about it. Can I be better this month than I was last month? That's the only thing I compete against. Way to do that. One way to do that. I'm going to play off of what, what Kevin said. It's something that is talked about. It's called reset your mindset. Your mindset of how you used to think, how you thought last year about the business, how you thought about things in the spring, in the middle of COVID. You have to reset the re not only evaluate, you have to uh, change uh, the way you think. And um, it's hard work, it really is, because we have these ingrained habits that, that we uh, caught up in and we get blinders on, we get uh, tunnel vision. And we need to take off those blinders, get rid of that tunnel vision. Like Kevin said, don't have a... Don't have a list of what I won't do. Have a list of I will do whatever the customer needs. Yeah, that notion of uh, hauling value brings me to that uh, uh, that one thing that we talked about um, when we were preparing for this, guys. And which which shows, uh, uh, you know, when you're when you're when you're doing that, Gary, you mentioned uh, getting as close to the the end customer as possible. Uh, what you're doing there really is you're uh, you're a sales you're a sales guy at that point, right? Yeah. Uh, you're marketing yourself. Uh, you're selling uh, you know the the value of the service that you provide. Um, ways to build uh, that uh, on a routine basis, I guess. And uh, Kevin, you've you've uh, over the years, I've heard you speak many times about the the value of using uh, the time that you have while you're behind the wheel to to listen to. Uh, Audiobooks. Um, there's a, there's tons of information out there on all kinds of topics related to business and anything anything come to mind from a kind of a sales perspective that might give some guys some new ideas. You know the the thing is there are thousands of good business books. Really, I have lists of, yeah. of you know, and I go back again to the late '80s when audiobooks were almost unheard of. They existed. They were on tape. And they were outrageously expensive. They were like two or three hundred bucks for a, a it was usually kind of more like a seminar on tape kind of thing. Right. And I had probably 15 library cards, every library I could find within a hundred and fifty mile radius. And on my days off, I would drive around to those libraries and get any business program I could so I could take it with me when I went back out on the road. And one of the things that I learned early on, it was so simple and it stuck with me, but it, it plays into what Gary was just talking about. It was the secret to success in business. One thing, this is it, master this and you can run any business. And it really is just provide the most value you can possibly provide to your customers. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, well, that's simple. Uh, it, it's a pretty simple concept. Not always easy to do in the real world, but if you can just stay focused on that. One of the problems I see in this industry, I almost never hear the word customer even used. How can you provide value to somebody that you don't even talk about or identify? And, and Gary talked about going in, giving them a business card, something so simple. In any other business, that's just, you don't even talk about it because it's so simple. Here, it's like some you know breakthrough strategy. Oh my God, actually talk to your customers and tell them who you are. I would go on to ask Bucks and uh, Rutherford for their perspective on the hours of service changes coming into play September 29th. 
in expectation, of course, that I'd be talking to FMCSA's Joe DiLorenzo in the Gats Week series of events that following evening. Tomorrow uh, evening in the Gats Week series, uh, here on the Overdrive Facebook page, we're talking uh, with uh, Joe DiLorenzo from FMCSA about the new hours of surface rules, some of the changes. Kind of aimed at uh, flexibility generally. As I read the rule, if you know if a driver wanted to, it seems like he or she could just sort of continue logging like they are today, and they won't be in violation after these new rules come into play. So, not a huge amount to worry about there in terms of enforcement, unless you're actually using the new provisions that are available. Um, you know, in that case, you just want to be able to make sure you're getting those right, or your ELD providers getting them right, or even better, that enforcement understands them too. So, there's a fair amount of ifs there and i just wonder how you guys are seeing uh the rule changes if you if you've been paying attention to them that kind of from the perspective of the owner operator business well, how, how should owner operators be looking at them well uh, here's the way i see it stop worrying about what other people are saying and doing focus again like kevin and i have been saying focus on your own business your yeah. own safety um and Quite honestly, if you are self-dispatching and you're successful, that's a difficult thing to learn. That's a whole subject in itself. Um, the goal that I learned was be, um, as a single operator, as efficient as possible, not have to worry about exhausting my hours. Right. The last several years, I, I average when I drove – uh, the weeks I worked a full week, I might be 42 to 47 hours, uh, including the delivery times, because I hauled high-value product. I found those accounts. I worked them. It took me years to get there. But it's never too soon to start. But don't worry about the chatter on the Internet, on the radio. Stay in control of what you can control yourself. Know the rules. The technology will help you. So yeah. take, the take time to understand everything and just figure out how you can implement yeah. them. Hey, Kevin, you had some thoughts there? Yeah. You know, the one question I tell people all the time, if you call and ask about compliance on my show, you might as well ask the super truckers at the lunch counter because compliance is not my strong suit, makes me crazy. Yeah. I don't want to know. So I, I don't really answer questions other than I might say, here's what I think. So, but I had an interesting conversation today on my show, and it was from another one of your writers, Clifford Peterson. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, he called and he said, look, you know, he said, I, I had to cut back my hours driving because he's doing a lot of schoolwork. So he yep. said, I cut my driving day back to eight and a half hours. That's it. No matter what, I drive eight and a half hours. He's been doing that for a while, though, I understand. Yeah. Like, that's kind of his, uh, that's his, I mean, it's been years now, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, but here's the thing. He managed to get 160,000 miles in in a year doing right. eight and a half hour days. I, when I budget for an owner operator, I budget on 110,000 miles because that was all I ever wanted to work. If you have the ability to go get 160,000 hours working eight and a half hour days, who cares about hours of service? It's meaningless. Right. It's just like the constant, uh, uh, you, you never you never run out, basically, because you're constantly reca you're recapping the hours and you're constantly getting them back. And yeah. Just, just learn enough to play the game so you can go out yeah. and get enough miles. And, and if you can't make it on 150,000 miles a year, you should go do something else. Now, Kevin and Todd, I have several clients who started out just running a lot of gross miles, looking for gross trips, basically are now running often 12, 13, 1400 miles a week and netting more profit. And what they learned was um, to, that it wasn't the hours push the limits slowed down like Cliff talked about and uh, they're more relaxed they're healthier they're happier and their equipment's in better shape there's all kinds of benefits from slowing down right. and uh, this is something that um, as I often say less can be more okay right. uh, okay one more we got one that came in here um, 
so this is about the uh, use of, of data uh, when in in load selection. I mean, I've heard we've we've heard uh, lots of people talk about this and how you can kind of use the uh, use the supply and demand metrics that are out there uh, for the spot market trucking, particularly for for independents uh, to make make better choices, make better decisions. How crucial do you think that is? Are, do we do we rely too much on it uh, at this point? Do we not rely on it enough? To, what can, what can what can folks do do better in that regard? Do we have another two hours. <laughs> yeah, no, afraid not. We got a few minutes. So. I, I would say that most owner operators and small carriers don't use it nearly enough. Really? You know the the idea of pricing being driven by supply and demand. That's a business basic. Every business in a free market, pricing is supply and demand, nothing else. The reason we have a hard time with it trucking is because it gets a lot more complicated because the supply is constantly moving. So even if the demand is totally stable, which it usually isn't, but it's no matter how stable the demand is, the supply moves every minute of every day. So you have to stay on top of this. And if you're getting your loads primarily from a broker, that broker is staring at that data all day long, every day. That's what he's done his whole business career. And they know the data inside and out. They know when they can negotiate hard and when they can't. The owner operator doesn't. They just don't go look at that data. And you'll find times when rates are down. We all know they're down. It's a, it's a, you know, it's just one of those times. That doesn't mean there aren't some really, really strong markets somewhere. And if you don't know that, the broker will take advantage of you every single time. If you just think, oh, it's a down market, I just have to take what I can get, and you don't understand that the city you're in is just the opposite right now. And that can change by the day. So I, I would say, no, we don't use the data nearly as much as we should be. And there are some good, there are some good opportunities out there right now. I mean, what's happening in that spot market right now is, is kind of, I mean, it's just amazing how quickly the, uh, the, you know, just the broader metrics have turned. So there's got, there's got to be some good, uh, good opportunities all around the country right now. There, there are. One of the things that I want to warn people, or not, maybe it's not a warning. It's something that they should think about. In the, I'm going to say in the near future, and that is there's something in technology they talk about nudging, to nudge people to do. It's like if you ever shop online with Amazon or one of these companies, you pull up a uh, search for an item and they say, well, you might want to consider this one over here, nudge you in the direction they want you to go. Now, I believe, and I'm not a conspiracy person, but we have to stay in control of our own technology, our own decision-making. And I think what can we could be headed to is that they'll know what the dynamics are for capacity. They'll know what um, the ratios, how many trucks here, and they will be able to um, use that to help them set price limits and nudge people. They'll know exactly how much it takes to get the, the, the crowd to move, in other words. And in Laredo, it might take, you know, $3.30. In Chicago, it might be $3.40. And get them to move, go to a certain area. The dynamics, the algorithms, they're there. And so that's a really big, complicated subject. Uh, yeah, I know it is, and and we could talk about that for a long time. I've been thinking a lot about that late, lately, particularly um, given uh, uh, all the uh, rancor around the uh, last uh, the the situation during the big lockdown with uh, with rates just falling through the floor, and and how quickly uh, that became a reality. In part, I think, because of the way folks are consuming load information. Uh, via smartphone apps that generate algorithmic pricing to a certain extent and that kind of thing. And yeah, it's a, it's a little, um, yeah, maintain control, I guess, where you, uh, as much as you can. Um, of course, in a situation like that, uh, 
the the entire thing was out of control in a lot of respects and nobody had very much of it right um well that's where that right of refusal comes in yeah, that sure. I was about sure. and owners need to need to know how to manage right of refusal again that's a whole nother side like like yeah. we said we got two more hours let me, let me, let me jump in with the final yeah. area earlier you mentioned you know people focusing on gross revenue, which is all anybody talks about. I've gotten the opposite criticism so many times over the years. Why do you always talk about cutting expenses? Why do you care about fuel mileage? Why? And, and here's the reason. We could sit here right now and talk about every expense and I can tell you exactly how to do it. No questions, no ambiguity, do this and this happens. Do this, you cut this cost. It's very straightforward. When we start talking about trying to increase gross revenue, this becomes a whole bunch of art and science and it changes dynamically constantly and it's not easy to teach. So why not focus on the things you can absolutely learn and know and save the other stuff for later? It, it's People have asked me when, when we had our CMC, our, our big week-long seminar, and they've been to it multiple years in a row. And they said, look, we've learned it all. You know, there's always something new, but we know most of it. You need to create an advanced course. And I tried and I can't. I, I, I've tried for years and years and years to create an advanced course and I can't. Learn the basics, which is what we teach. The advanced course you're gonna have to learn on your own. You can't teach it because it's so dynamic. Here's hoping you're out there today and conducting your own course as well as humanly possible. Thanks to Gary Bucks and Kevin Rutherford for their time last week. You can find video links and coverage from all five of the nights of the Gats Week events at Overdrive. Specifically, that's overdriveonline.com slash gats hyphen week. Till next time, keep it pro out there.